0: Imagine it. yeah
1: that you mentioned a podcast with kevin and dane he's Dane. he's kevin (laughs) (laughs) what's up man not much we uh we we come limping back after being you know like technologically main each time they try to keep us down bezos tries to keep us down bnh tries to keep us down technology in general i mean neither you nor i are that Text. Tech hip. yeah. So, like yeah. the slightest piece of sand yeah. in the machinery, like it's all, it's all, it's all over. But right. we're here. We come, li- we came, living back. We're back.
0: Right,
1: right. How you doing?
0: I'm solid, solid. You?
1: I'm so, I'm solid. I can't complain. Yeah. So I guess I guess to set it up, um, I had or we had planned on a somewhat silly deep dive. Mm -hmm. um, for this first opening seg, um, which I won't give away because we'll, we'll hold on to that. We we, we have to use it. We We got to use that opening seg, but it was somewhat, somewhat frivolous and it just didn't seem like the right time to be doing something that was totally divorced from what was, uh, going on in the world. So with that said, we're here to just kind of like kick it about what is, what is going on.
0: Yeah. A lot is going on. Um, protest for police protest against police brutality um, and I guess that's that's sort of where I'm having issues at now in the in the at this point in the movement so to like give some more backdrop um, Minneapolis police murdered lynched George Floyd um, and the outcry after his death, to me, is just sort of like the catalyst of just pent up discontent for, you know, so long, so much rage against the system in general. But um, but the narrative around it has sort of minimized the impact that this has sort of across the system writ large, as opposed to like this is a black issue about police brutality and it's just that's been sort of off putting about it but outside of that it's been dope to see like everybody come out and and really like take to the streets like that shit's been that shit's been dope
1: so t- t- talk to me more about what you mean by the you were talking about the narrative yeah so what do you see going what do you see going so, on so
0: take a sip of my founders mm mm-hmm. mhm Shout out to founders. Y'all need to fucking sponsor us. Um, uh, but um, really like so yes this is about systemic racism about uh, systemic police violence state sanctioned violence. <clears throat> but I think that it's also more of a catalyst for a larger movement, then I think the media, mainstream media in particular, is sort of giving, laying credence to, right? Like, it's, yeah, people are out here outraged because George Floyd was lynched, and because Ahmaud Arbery was lynched, and Breonna Taylor was fucking murdered in her own home and shit. Just like uh, Botham Jean, you know? So it's like, or John I want to jack up my homie's name but so um yeah like this is this is definitely about you know black vulnerability in, in that sense but black vulnerability has always been a catalyst to larger social change and I think that like to not harness this moment for that larger systemic change would be like we'll look back 10 years from now be like what if you know as opposed to and the, and, and the reason I brought up the media is because they're like pumping this. Well, let's let's remember this is about, you know, George Floyd and, you know, his murder and, and making this like a singular incident, you know,
1: uh, okay. I see what you're saying.
0: And it's like, no, this is this is systemic. It is, you know, yeah, black people are brutalized disproportionately. But as someone who's lived in a bunch of places across the country, I can tell you that if you're just poor, <laughs> then you're getting your ass whooped by the police. You're getting killed by the police. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, you got the Rona, you got massive unemployment. So it, it's it's so much, it's just, I guess you could say George Floyd was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, but it's like it's a bunch of fucking straws underneath it. And that's the shit that like they're trying to avoid having to grapple with um,
1: so, so you, you see the media sort of I guess reducing reducing it or failing to failing to see that the protests and the uprising is a result of a decade centuries and right, decades right. process and they're more treating it as an isolated incident exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I, I totally see that. I actually, I think to my benefit, have not been watching a bunch of cable news about this. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if I were, I think I'd be a lot more just incensed about this. <laughs> I mean, I've right, seen right. Um, the you know the Sean Hannitys and Tucker Carlsons of the world, you know, adopt all this law and order rhetoric, right. you know, in line with their just obsequiousness to the fucking president. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be curious to ask you what, like what you think, what is your diagnosis slash prog prognosis, mm. um, of, of this moment, uh, given that it seems like this is just another iteration of this play, another variation on the theme of America that we see, uh, Time and time again So I'm right. curious as to If you if you see any differences If you see similarities If your prognosis would be different from um, You know like Ferguson In what, 2014 14. 2014 um, Versus what's happening today All Right um, I guess
0: I guess I would say That I do see This time around And, and I think it's been I think it's been growing Like since since Ferguson, I think the sort of multiracial, multicultural sort of uh, coalition building has has been forming in the streets. With this one, you know, people took to the streets when Eric Gardner was murdered. Um, that's what I, I know. That's when I when I did in college, well at Syracuse, and so um, I would say that now I'm I'm seeing. From people in the streets, like, because watching, you know, different journalists, independent journalists who are like really going to, you know, straight on the front lines with it, like, I'm seeing a more class consciousness grow out of it. But again, the narrative, because, you know, the people who are taken to the streets, that's a fraction, that's still a fraction of our population. And so you still have people who are at home, sitting at home and watching the news and getting the news coverage and that narrative about what's going on. And so while I think on the ground, you're seeing like, you know, people really, you know, getting in tune with this like multicultural, multiracial class-based coalition building. Um, I I just don't see that being covered in the mainstream media. So, The prognosis, I guess, um, would be if I guess if if more people take to the streets and they see what that what that really is, then maybe that can open open up the lane. Um, Otherwise, it might be a lost moment if if we just, you know, allow the mainstream media narrative to dominate and sort of suppress whatever, you know, action could come from those who are sitting at home right now. So that's what I would say.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's so much, there's so many different. Oh, and then loaves. another thing,
0: Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. another go ahead. thing is this whole looting shit, this whole like destroying of property. Now we're going to, you know, we have a disc, we're going to have a discussion about private property coming up, but, um, the crazy thing is, like, you see, that's when the violence ramped up from the police. Is like, as soon as you start, you know, blowing up Target and blowing up fucking, you know, smashing in Gucci and all of this shit, then it's like you you cross the line, right? Yeah. And the, I guess what what uh what warmed my heart <laughs> was the fact that they did like people were looting target and were looting fucking uh, Gucci and shit like that. Like, because it was just a sort of outward manifestation of like the sickness of consumption, right? Like it here's like these people who for the most part can't afford the majority of the shit that these places sell, you know, minus target, but even that to an extent. Um, And all you do is like feed, like, this narrative of consumption to us. Like you got to go out and buy shit. You got to have the new shit and all of that. So if they can't afford it, this is the opportunity to get it. And they got the shit. Like cats were getting the fucking $700 Travis Scott Jordans and shit like that. Like, fuck yeah, take them motherfuckers because shit, why are they $700? You know, It's, (laughs) it's like, so I couldn't care less about that type of shit. You know, of course there were there were some casualties. Like there, like I, I'm not, I don't condone the small business, you know, you know, getting, looting yeah. small businesses like that. But then even that, if you say, you know, this is a neighborhood store and this person is just a fucking asshole to us and all that shit, then, I mean, that's that's on y'all and y'all community. So so I don't have any right yeah, about yeah. that shit. But you know, when it comes to like multinational corporations and like large luxury brands and shit like that. Fuck out of here. Man. Well, that- yeah.
1: And what, what was crazy was that um, there was all this, I guess, again, I, I stayed off of the, you know, like the Fox and CNN right. and type of shit. But um, when the initial wave of protests were, was happening and the Kmart got like lit up, right? Like totally mm-hmm. just, lit up right target that was target oh excuse me target um you know all the all the right of center people you know law and order rhetoric looting calling it looting calling it rioting Mm -hmm. etc etc and they're just straight outraged at this like you said this outward manifestation of frustration and then you have Kate target excuse me target coming out and being like it's all good we're gonna pay our employees um over time to rebuild, like we're, we're, we're good. We're straight. So you really see how it's a cultural issue where you have to buy in wholesale where like, if you're on the right, you can't, these days, you can't really like pick and choose. You have to be, you have to buy it whole cloth. Mm -hmm. You have to buy, I'm pro police. I'm anti, like you can't see any gradations in there. And when you, and then when you have the corporation itself being like, we're, we're good. Like we understand, Right. We're good. Like it's not the end of the world for us. We're going to pay our people overtime. We're going to re- like, it's all good. Um, no harm, no foul type of thing. Then you really see how these cultural, I- the- these issues get sort of co-opted into like the culture war, whatever you right. want to call it. Right. Yeah. Right. That was pretty crazy to me. Yeah. And,
0: but then the, the, on the flip side though, are like the mainstream liberals who are just sort of virtue signaling about the same thing. Shit. So it's like you have, you know, people talking about like, well, looting just, you know, it just, uh, you don't have the moral high ground anymore once you start doing this and all of that. And it's just like, like I always sort of, when I, whenever I have these type of conversations with people, I always say like, you talk about peaceful protesting during the civil rights movement. And obviously there's no such thing as peaceful protest when you have fucking police out there antagonizing and instigating shit, agitating shit. So that's the first thing. But let's not forget that, you know, the the mainstream liberals are always just trying to sort of push you into this, you know, electoral politics as if that's the only way to enact some sort of systemic change. And it's like the fucking civil rights movement got the Voting Rights Act passed in August in 1965, after all that marching and protesting and shit like that. And guess what? Two, three weeks later, fucking Watts was burning because the systemic shit was not addressed. And yeah. so it's like, I guess if I look at anything, I look at it like that. Like, this is just in, in the same way that just decades at that point from, you know, black people moving from the South and moving out West, uh, during that post-war era, like, like, you look at you look at um, just the what was festering socially, right? What was festering there as you as you started like crowding black people in, couldn't have jobs and shit, like didn't have access to manufacturing jobs and shit like that. Um, and so it was a police, it was a stop, it was some harassment, shit, some police brutalities. You know that jumped it off, but that was that was just. The catalyst to this larger, you know, this larger uh, expression of of discontent. And so this is the same sort of thing. And I think like you're, it's going to get worse if you don't hurry up and address the shit that's the material conditions for people. Like if you think that you're going to have loot, you know, you're going to stop looting just by boarding up, fucking Soho and in, in Midtown and shit like that, you're mistaken. <laughs> like, if you think that people at, at some point are just going to say fuck it and start really retaliating against the police with all this shit that's going on, like, you're mistaken. So it's like, you want to get ahead of this shit, <laughs> you, you, better, you better change something and, like, do it quick because this shit is like, you're going to have people saying fuck it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I totally, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't really have too much else to add. Although when we were texting the other night about it, I was just like, the thought that came to me was to, what is, what is the expression to a hammer? Everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you uh, just, just R E what the police do. Right. Um, And so I'm just sort of reacting to all these video clips on Twitter of just the most egregious displays of, you know, you have a protester all kneeling, saying to police that are lined up there like some kind of fucking paramilitary. Mm-hmm. And this person, and you see this kid probably younger than us going, you know, I don't think you're all bad. I know you're trying to do your job. I want us to just understand each other. I just want change i don't hate you and then they single him out and fucking arrest him you know like mm-hmm. you see he's just absolutely beyond the pale examples of and that's what
0: people need to start like that's what people need to get off of now i think that there are,
1: what are you decent,
0: i think there are decent people who are cops like yeah you're just a decent person you don't you know want to go out here and fucking kill people and all that shit But the idea of there being a good cop, I think, is oxymoronic because of just the entrenched sort of. The police is, as an institution, like corrupt and and brutal. And it's it's like, I mean, how are you how are you good in that in that regard? Right. Because if if there were really good cops, then you would be singling you would be singling out the ones who are doing all this fuck shit. But what it shows is that the fuck shit is part of the culture of yeah. policing. And so it's like, you can't have, you know, yeah, it's like I said, it's, it's decent people who are cops. I know people who are, you know, police officers or whatever. So yeah, there are decent people are retired as well. like uh, So I know people who are, who are police officers who are decent people, but it's no such thing as a good cop though. Not to me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, again, it's like the just the institutional incentives. This the yeah. I I mean, again, I don't know too much about you know the way, like the nitty gritty of how police officers are trained.
0: But that's what we're going to get into (laughs) with that uh, with with our episode on policing.
1: Yeah, but but just to to put a period on the end of that sentence, it's like seeing all these videos. And then you even see the like the heartwarming shit where there's the cop in Flint, Michigan that puts down his stuff and marches with the people. And at least at least that one I didn't feel like was total uh, just sort of sentimental or sentimentality pandering because at least after that one, I didn't see any like five minutes later video where now they're like (laughs) fucking tear gassing people. But my thing is like, so like that stuff like really brings a tear to my eye, but then it's also like, I feel like the bar is so low. Like the, the protesters are just Like people are just exasperated and the bar is so low for the police To just be like, to just call some shit like it is, and yet there's this there's this really perverse doubling down, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And so that's why I'm just that's when I am like, fuck it, the system is beyond reform. That's when I go to my dark whatever dark place Mm -hmm. and like, what, what what is what is going on here? Because I feel like it shouldn't be that big of an ask. And yeah, you know what I mean. No, and, and but
0: that's where that's where you have to get into like, you know, these these concerns about defunding the police and shit like that, because the only way that you can, you know, tame the beast, so to speak, is by hitting them in the pockets. Like if you if you're taking away like I know there's legislation that's coming out now that's trying to like um that's trying to halt like Police departments, local police departments, getting you know surplus military grade uh, weaponry and shit like that. This has been you know, but that that bill that allowed them to get that shit in the first place was passed in the '80s. So it's like '82, I think, or some shit. So it's like you have damn near forty years of of this shit, and so it's not going to just be like, oh, you know, oh boy is kneeling with somebody. And now, you know, we're good. (laughs) Like, like we, we have to like really like reorganize our society and shit because, you know, everybody's talking about the police. Like, I mean, what are police here to do really is to protect property, private property. But if you have this idea, this notion that they're here to protect and serve people, um, or to, you know, protect, to protect people from, you know, violent crimes and all this sort of shit. Well, if you had, you know, a society that didn't allow just impoverished conditions to just sweep across the entire nation, you wouldn't have all this fucking crime to begin with. So your police force wouldn't have to deal, like if you had mental health institutions that really, you know, Help people and really gave, you know, a place of refuge for people dealing with that shit, then you wouldn't have police out here fucking killing people with mental health, you know, going through mental health crises or whatever. Like, so it's just, it's how do we organize our society in general? And then you'll start to see where you don't need the police. Like, why do you need the police in schools? Why do you need the police in right. fucking, you know, at every single event? Like, fuck, you know, the police kill more people than, <laughs> you know, a lot of these diseases. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, so how many how many Laker games and and uh, Mets games and shit like that have gone on where nobody's you know staged a mass shooting? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, what the fuck do they what what are they there for? You know, so it's like. Yeah, it's, it's an entire it's an entire like reorganization that has to happen to really address like the entrenched, you know, systemic police violence that is getting everybody. <laughs> so that the fucking motorcycle gangs, the uh, white motorcycle gangs with the uh, A cab, the all cops are are bastards.
1: Oh, I'm not I'm not hip to that. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. So it's. And, and that's, some, that's some shit dating back to, like, the 70s or some shit like that. So it's, you know, cops bidding on some bullshit.
1: Um, so, yeah, okay, so that was a punch in. More technical difficulty difficulties, people. But um, closing <laughs> closing thoughts for the opening seg. Uh,
0: viva la revolution.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's what I
1: said. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, in the, in the, we didn't even say in the main segment, we're talking about, um, Soren Kierkegaard's essay on the present age, the death of rebellion. So, right.
0: and I think we're in an age of, uh, or potentially could be an in, in age of, uh, where the,
1: of the rebirth, rebirth
0: of the rebellion. So, yeah.
1: All right. So let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk about Soren Kierkegaard. Fire. Okay, welcome back to the Now That You Mention It podcast. This is the moment of the show where we remind you respectfully and politely to please subscribe to us in the iTunes podcast marketplace or Spotify. Um, That's right, we need that honey millie. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or Spotify. Um, Twi- no, not Twitch. Is it Twitch? No, it's Stitcher. Nah,
0: it's Stitcher.
1: Stitcher. Amazon, Google Play.
0: When we start doing live shit we might get on Twitch.
1: We're, um, you know, all the all the behemoth tech companies that steal our data, close Main Street stores, suck up all the retail jobs, don't pay federal taxes because they're, you know, they have teams of accountants and they put their shit in Ireland. We patronize those. Our shit's on all that, so that's your, so like all your favorite behemoth, colossal tech companies. We're on there. Check them out.
0: Hey, Foucault. Foucault said you can't escape. Escape that shit. You're a part. You're a part of the superstructure, essentially. Whether you want to rebel against it or not, even your rebellion is within the context of that system. So, fuck it.
1: We're in it <laughs> we're, as much as I hate Mark Zuckerberg, we're yeah. on Instagram at NTYMI. Right. Uh, that's a Zuckerberg-owned property. Right. Bought it for a cool, however many. Billy Bill. Yeah. 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 So we're on Instagram. Hit us up at NTYMI Pod on there. Um. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook as well, although. Yeah, we aren't
0: as engaging because we put so much into our engaging content.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so uh, main seg of the show, we are talking about the famous Soren Kierkegaard essay, The Present Age on the Death of Rebellion. And to set it up, I will say that of all the reading that we have done for this podcast, Mm -hmm. I struggled with this one the most. Struggled I struggled with I this one agree. the most. It was it was written in 1846. Uh, Kierkegaard has a almost a stream of consciousness, but almost like postmodern way of writing in this kind of like dialectical style, um, and. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a dense essay. He says a lot and I did struggle with it. I had to read it a couple times to really figure out what was going on. And still, I feel like I have a, a tenuous grasp on the ideas that he is grappling with at best, my mm-hmm, understanding of mm-hmm. what he's trying to say is tenuous. Um, so with that said, I will kick it to you, Kevin. What, what's Kierkegaard up to here?
0: Mm, well, Kierkegaard is having, is giving us a, Pretty obscurantist critique <laughs> of of mass media. Um, yeah, you do have to re- like read this a couple times to sort of start to get a decent understanding of what he's what he's trying to say. But um, but essentially, he's critiquing this age of reflection, which is married to the advent of mass media, and so. What he's saying is the way that mass media is distributed, sort of messaging and, and, and the topics that people are discussing with uh, within mass media and how this information is disseminated is essentially suppressing true fulfillment and action in people's lives because they're consumed by essentially innocuous frivolous information they're inundated with this innocuous information and all it does is just sort of places people within this default uh disposition of reflection where you're or every and and it's really sort of like a, a larger critique of the enlightenment right like this this idea of of you know being able to just go somewhere sit in a fucking room somewhere and think about like well, this is how life is, or this is the meaning of this, this is what being is, this is how you can... So it's like he's critiquing the way that enlightenment rationality is being disseminated in this, like, suppressive way to people... Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, yeah, suppressing people in their, like I said, living, living this sort of authentic, sort of, you know, fulfilled life and it's also sort of important to note, like he's one of the early existentialists. So that like that lifelong journey of of uh, wrestling with ones or trying to fulfill or achieve, you know, authenticity in this life is, you know, sort of central to his overall, you know, philosophical project.
1: Mm, OK, <clears throat> so you you tamped down on a few areas of my my confusion in reading Kierkegaard, but and it's 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 funny reading someone like Kierkegaard. It's like you have these moments, these flashes, mm-hmm. where it all coalesces in your head, and you're like, I fu- I get it, right, I right. I I can see what he's saying in a transparent way. And then it's like if you're not in that, if you're not tuned to that frequency anymore, like you go and you go to the bathroom and you cup sit down and <laughs> you're like, you're like, wait, what? Wait, I had it and I lost it. It slipped through all my right. fingers like sand, but. Um, so, okay. Age of reflection. I want to, I want to try to figure out what he's really talking about here. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's, he's railing against the age of reflection where everyone just sits down and thinks about stuff. Like you said, he's, he's, he has fundamental problems with, yeah, enlightenment rationality, which he really lived through. Right. And he was, he lived through the French revolution too. Um, so this is what he says at, within the first 10 pages of the essay, he says, A revolutionary age is an age of action. Ours is the age of advertisement and publicity. Nothing ever happens, but there is immediate publicity everywhere. In the present age, a rebellion is, of all things, the most unthinkable. Such an expression of strength would seem ridiculous to the calculating intelligence of our times. So there's a couple things there. One is that read today in 2020 it kind of does ring true
0: yeah
1: ours is the age of advertisement and publicity nothing ever happens but there is immediate publicity everywhere that while it's it would be an exercise to parse what he's actually saying going word by word take it as a whole that kind of just feels true just like in my in my everyday experience oh of course I'm consumed I'm, I'm consumed by, I'm constantly consuming media. I'm in front of screens all the time. People are screaming at me from every which way via every medium. And yet it seems like I'm just kind of humming along at this status quo. I mean
0: he opens – he literally opens up uh, the essay. He says the present age is essentially a sensible reflecting age. So sensible in this like enlightenment, rational – mode of of thinking and acculturation right so the present age is a sensible reflecting age devoid of passion flaring up in superficial short-lived enthusiasm like mm-hmm. <laughs> that right there is like 2020 you know like yeah. it's 2019 yeah. it's 2018 like that's that's literally like the the explosion of the social media age is this, like, superficial, short-lived enthusiasm, whether that be something that's, like, you know, uh, a movement, you know, a sort of movement for social change, or whether it's just, like, yeah, let's... let's Everybody's watching fucking and is and excited about... Um, what's that shit that was on HBO? That uh, Game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah, Game of Thrones. Like short-lived enthusiasm it was just like all these think pieces and all these reaction vids and all of this shit or whatever for really nothing you know like it is really pointless and yet this is legitimized mainstream media content you know like and, and even moments,
1: you what are, you're saying right now makes me think of Twitter moment or like that was a moment. The best moments right, right. of 2019. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. And that's
0: exactly how like everything is sort of framed is like in these moments and you sort of leave them where they are. And it, because it's like you would think the age of reflection would would entail like some sort of heightened social awareness.
1: Well, that's what I want to ask you about because I feel like reading it in 2019, it's like I kind of wish there were more reflection. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Kierkegaard is – we have to sort of imagine Kierkegaard in 1846 where there are all these like pseudo-learned people around Mm -hmm. um, and he's sort of like clapping back at those kind of people whereas today it's like – do we really live in an age of reflection today? I guess is the yeah. question I'm, I'm getting at. Um, I would say,
0: I would say, yeah. And I think that it's even more superficial today uh, because like, because of how just anything could be thrown out there. So like, <laughs> I, I would say this. So like my, uh, my boy is a, is a professor at uh, Santa Clara. Right. And, one of his colleagues, um, I won't say where he's at or anything like that, but one of his colleagues, uh, went, they, I think he's, he's like in education. He's a PhD in education. Um, he's, he's doing, I think he did his dissertation on memes. And it's just like, I can get doing a, a paper on memes. I can get that, but an entire dissertation, (laughs) like, I'm in the middle of my dissertation prospectus right now. I could not imagine drafting a dissertation prospectus about fucking memes. And it's just like, the the shit that we legitimize as,
1: and you and by by mean meme, memes you mean like actual internet memes actual, not like uh
0: yes actual memes. like
1: like memes in the in the like the, the socio biological no like, no memes, yeah.
0: <laughs> no no memes as in social media Twitter fucking Instagram memes yeah. like I couldn't imagine sitting there and being like this is like a legitimate use of my time and sort of critical thinking. And it's just like the fact that stuff like that is legitimized today goes to what you're saying, like this pseudo learned, you know, class or whatever of people who are just like, you know, producing knowledge for the sake of producing knowledge. It's like, Ah, there's there's no, like, there's no end game back to, you know, what I said during our break or whatever, like the pursuit to nowhere. Like it's it's right. all sort of aimed at this just like, oh, well, here's this new phenomenon. Here are memes that, that people are communicating through or whatever. So let's write a, a book on it. And it's like, is it really worth, like, are we really going to be like, yeah, we're looking back at 2020 about how, you know, the, the social and political landscape was shaped. We're going to be like, yeah, it was memes, it was the, like, fuck
1: out of here. Yeah, so, okay, so I guess I would ask you how do you, or how does Kierkegaard rather, get from there? Like, I totally see that knowledge mm-hmm. for the sake of knowledge's sake is a much <laughs> more concise way that you just put it, as opposed to like trying to, you know, get into the nitty gritty of what Kierkegaard's saying. But I think that's totally right. But how do you get from there to his thesis that um, an expression of strength, such as a rebellion, uh, would seem ridiculous would the, 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 like this underlying theme that he's he's pushing here the death of rebellion mm-hmm. and there's a couple questions there one is what does he mean by rebellion um, mm-hmm. does he like are we taking him at a literal face value like mm-hmm. overthrow some shit or is he talking more spiritually right. and two the the first question really how do you get from that? This, a, that's what I struggled with fundamentally in this essay. How do you get from just a, a basically superficial level critique of the age of reflection? Um, what he how? I mean, this was a bar. He says now is the turn. Now is the turn of those lightweight encyclopedists who, <laughs> and passant. I don't know what that exactly means in French. Deal with all the sciences and the whole of existence. So, like these lightweight, you know, fucking. Faux philosophers, pseudo, like intellectuals, whatever. But how do you get from that to the death of rebellion? That's what I want to. That's what I struggled with. Hmm. <clears throat> because that is his his underlying thesis, right? He's hmm. saying that like profound, true rebellion is not possible anymore.
0: Right. Yeah, and and so I would I would guess. Like what Kierkegaard is saying with regard to like the advent of mass media and in its suppression of the rebellion or of that like individual authenticity that, you know, that he's sort of like that's really what his project is based on is like this sort of spiritual authenticity or whatever he had, He didn't want to give up Christianity like he was like, unlike most existentialists he was a staunch Christian. Right. But um, and so I guess like the rebellion is more on a spiritual level because the enlightenment, although it did, you know, sort of free the individual from this. Um, what, what do you want to, this like religious framework or whatever? It just replaced it. It essentially replaced it. And so you were back where you started. Mm. essentially and and i guess that's where he's that's where he's like his critique of mass media is because the power and that's what uh, Poisson uh is, is is power and influence yeah and so it's like if you are um if you're looking at the mass media as like you know this this sort of power uh this expression of power right like this expression of like how do you dictate what people are thinking about what they you know think is valuable what they think is legitimate like all of that type of shit then you've essentially like quashed any type of rebellion whether that be something more spiritual and more fulfilling on the individual level or like on a larger collective sort of like overthrow of some shit like it works both ways. It just, it's, it's a tool of suppression, you know, no matter how you slice it essentially.
1: Right. Cause it's sort of, I guess he's, cause it's like, I don't know, like he's like, it's like painting with a broad brush or, I guess we could get into his like idea of leveling.
0: Mm -hmm, Exactly. Um, Exactly.
1: But yeah, I mean, I, I took it to be as sort of like, were when he's saying the death of rebellion, I, I did kind of try to read it at first as like he's meaning like a, a real re- revolution, mm-hmm. actual rebellion is not possible anymore. Mm-hmm. And I kind of saw, I again, tenuous connection, but it's like because we're in this age of reflection, we're kind of like from the jump, that's like we're in this passive stance, we've kind of like accepted. The institutions, even though he kind of has this thing where he's saying that the institutions have been really emptied of their meaning, but we we hold on to the the you know the facades of the institutions right. for reassurance. So, as the death of rebellion. I mean, I kind of meant like we've kind of settled into this age where we've got the systems we've got, and yes, there will be these temporary flare-ups. Um, you know, I mean, especially given the moment we're recording this podcast in, right, right. but. That, you know, this is kind of the system we've got and this is yeah. what it's going to be going forward. Um, and so there's this element of passivity that I feel like he's sort of mm-hmm. getting at. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a legitimate or illegitimate reading of, of what he's saying.
0: No, I, I got the same. I got the same vibe, especially like reading it like today. Um, yeah. And. And you start to think about like, and that's kind of what I was getting at in the in the opening seg was like, what is this you know moment? Like, what are people are people going to really harness this moment for? Like, what it could be, as opposed to it being like just you know a flare up and you know something that's just going to be you know absorbed into the into the system, you know, and that's it. Like, because then you know, t- twenty years from now, you can like go back and, you know, reflect on it from a historical perspective and, you know, sort of feed this narrative of Americans standing up for their rights and all of this sort of shit or whatever. But it's just superficial because we've just been, we've been leveled, <clears throat> you know, like we've been leveled. And so, yeah, I, I would say that, that that's definitely like how I read it initially. Um, yeah, Given the moment that we're living in, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like
1: his, <clears throat> his, his. I, I, I do think it's true that we, like, we crave authenticity when, but despite the fact that, like, kind of all of our institutions and all of the things that supply meaning to our life have kind of been emptied mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of meaning. I mean. I, I was thinking about, I mean, maybe I can bring it here. I, I want to ask some just like broad questions that Kierkegaard brought up. Maybe he doesn't actually talk about them. But like I was just thinking about like um, the Naomi Klein book, No Logo. And she talks about over the first three chapters of that book, she talks about the process by which um, mass manufactured goods in the mid-1850s or in the, in the middle of the 19th century began to – take over the the staple goods that you would buy at the store and like it used to like like basic goods like sugar and spices and flour would literally come out of barrels mm. and a shop and a shopkeeper an actual human shopkeeper would be there to do it for you and he'd vouch as to the quality of the various products and whatnot and whatnot then you have mass manufactured goods all of a sudden all the shit is on shelves and it looks identical so you have to manufacture You have to manufacture difference in a context of sameness. And so importantly, the authenticity has been replaced there. That's like a concrete example where you used to have this face-to-face interaction about something that was going to give meaning to your life, even though it's something as mundane as like flower. But that thing has been replaced by like this representation of authenticity, like fucking Aunt Jemima, right?
0: right? which is specifically
1: designed to – Come, come across as authentic. And so that to me, thinking about that, I mean, obviously that's more modern context than what Kierkegaard is talking about. But yeah. like, we find ourselves in this situation where the things that supply meaning to our life have actually kind of been emptied of meaning. They've, everything has been abstracted. We live in this world of abstraction where there's the representations of things, mm-hmm. but the things themselves aren't really there and exactly. just like the wild proliferation of branding and advertisement, I feel like is a, is a, is sort of microcosmic of that.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Like,
1: like, and, like oh, oh, let me, okay. let me just, let me just, let me just bring it, let me just bring that home. And, and how I relate that to the death of rebellion is because like Naomi Klein and her analysis basically talks about how there is no space in our interpersonal lives. That's unbranded. That's unmarketed at this right. point. Right. Like, the, the, the brand is this like parasitic thing. And it even like – even Naomi Klein has this brilliant passage where she's talking about how brands have to latch on to culture to give the brand meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But in the end, the brand actually ends up supplanting the culture. Right. So now we have fucking American Airlines Arena, you know? Right. Amer- like it used to be when at the advent of this shit, it was like you know American Airlines would sponsor a rock tour, and that was a big deal because mm-hmm. the rock artists were selling out. Now American Airlines is like, fuck it, we'll just be the culture. Exactly. And so and so because of that, if you really meditate on how mu- how little unmarketed space we have, then any kind of criticism or rebellion just seems pointless. Right. It's not tech. It's not that it's not impossible in principle. It's just, it's just absurd. It's mm-hmm. just, it's just kind of you know what I mean. Like it yeah, just.
0: That's that's why I said like it, it's it's exactly like Foucault is you know is is sort of inescapable. Well, the like inescapability of the dominant culture, and the only thing that I, I guess like could like in, within our context in particular. Um, is to like look beyond like because now like Herbert Marcuse, we, we were talking about branding, like it made me think of Marcuse and him saying, well, you know, you you have the secretary who reads the same newspaper as her boss who makes, you know, more more money than you know she does. You have the black man who drives a Cadillac just like, you know, the rich uh, white dude or whatever, you know, in the suburbs or some shit like that. Um, you've completely leveled any sort of like class consciousness. ah, so so now you're just like now everybody wants the same things. That's why people were fucking looting Gucci and shit like that because you know you've you've given them access to it, it you know, it's not like they can't save up people can't save up their money and go buy the shit, you know. So you have access to it. It's, it's, it's there for you to consume, but you can't afford it. You know, like the the, the black dude who, you know, in, in Marcuse's example, it's like, yeah, you have a Cadillac, but, you know, you have a Cadillac. Where are you living at in the city type shit, as opposed to your white counterpart, um, the secretary, like how much are how much is your boss really paying you? And, and where do you live and what are your living conditions as opposed to yep. his? So it's like the fact that you've leveled that and you've given people this false sense of like access to everything, there is no need to rebel because they, everybody's bought into it already.
1: And that's what Kierkegaard, Kierkegaard says. That's, that's so fucking – that's awesome because that Kierkegaard is like – people are just going to be like, you know what? If I just have some money, I'll be good. Exactly. That's, exactly that's one, that's one point of kierkegaard where i was like all right i i see i see what he's getting at here yeah. and just another way that this this like dynamic is so insidious to to piggyback off of what you're saying about like the leveling of class consciousness via like consumer goods and branding is that you actually it's so like it it might seem like a kind of corny thing to complain about like brands latching onto culture, like, you know, like American airline arenas and, you know, the fucking Pepsi Raptor and like, oh, sell out. It might seem kind of like passe and beside the point to be, you know, upset about something like that. But the insidious thing is that there's so little, it's become such a norm that we actually begin to internalize the need for branding ourselves. Like Naomi Klein points this out in a beautiful way. She says that the, the degree to which branding has supplanted culture is, is so is, is such that we actually think that creativity and coming together and community depends on the generosity of brands. Mm-hmm. And you I see that all the time with, People in the media and artists that I actually look up to and respect, but you see them doing this shit where they're like, "Oh, I'm not doing that unless I get the bag." Right. I'm not like like I literally like I was listening to Joe Budden podcast the other day. Who? How can you? I go in and out? I, 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 take- <laughs> <laughs> I, like, like, I for the longest it. time I was a big big fan of, um. Then you know I don't know. I'll name, I
0: was I was a big big fan when it was. I'll name this podcast later. That's, yep, that's, just
1: just Wednesdays, just out of that studio. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep,
0: the good old like, days.
1: <laughs> uh, all the time, like 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 he caught himself the other day, like doing this kind of dope segment that he was calling like Morning Joe or whatever, and then he stopped. He pulled up and he was like, "No, nah, I'm not doing that unless unless I get the bag." Right, right, right. And, and you know, I'm like, do you realize that, that you have internalized that, like that branding is necessary for creativity dynamic, you know? These people, people on Instagram especially love the inspo porn, the I'm a creator porn support creators. Well, it's like interrogate that because to what extent are you, have you actually internalized this sort of like corporatist idea of what creativity is, where creativity is not valuable, where creativity is not valuable unless you get a corporate coat like co right, right. unless right. you get the bag for yeah. it yeah. It's like you what is like, what,
0: what does support Mean like when you're yeah. talking about like Support the creatives and shit like that Like what what does support Mean exactly and then that goes To the yeah that goes to the artist or The creatives intent like are you just Out here creating for the sake of like The bag Or are you like in it to create Dope shit Yeah, And, and it's no longer Like people are in it to create dope shit Because like you know you've already you've already framed your entire thought process and project around the logic of you know this this sort of uh monetary potential right like it's all like oh i'm i can do this and then i can monetize it i can do this and then i can make money this way and it's just like it's never just because you're doing some shit like
1: yeah (laughs) And maybe we can uh, we'll wind down with a few last thoughts. But this is another thing that I feel like Kierkegaard. I mean, it's interesting in the foreword of the version that we have. The guy who wrote the foreword sort of admonished readers who would who read who read Kierkegaard with the intention of extracting little. Bits that they can then apply and talk about and jack off to like how prescient Kierkegaard was or whatever, when he's saying that's kind of antithetical to what Kierkegaard's project really was. So, you know, setting that aside, Hmm. the one like what what I saw as as really, really prescient, especially in the social media age, was this quote right here, which I pulled out. He says, The age of great and good actions is past. The present is the age of anticipation when even recognition is received in advance. No one is satisfied with doing something definite. Everyone wants to feel flattered by reflection with the illusion of having discovered at the very least a new continent. So it's like the, like, it's like the recognition and by that in 1846, you probably could get, you probably might get shot over those. Right. Right. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> right. But and like, going out on so, a limb
1: so this putting before, like this wanting the recognition before actually having done the mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. is again, sort of like we've reversed the, like it goes back to the branding thing. Like we've reversed the the intentionality and the, and the, the representation of everything. Right. 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 I, I see, I feel like that is just like a obvious truth when you see people on, you know, how people represent themselves on social media and stuff. And in general, it's like, I just feel like today, nowadays is the age of, you know, I'm the, nothing counts. um, Unless I get the recognition for it. Like right. nothing, not, right. Did it really happen? If it didn't happen, if you did, don't post it on social media, like right. what? What is an like a personal accomplishment worth? Like, what if you get a dope? What like what if you get into a dope ass? Um, you get a dope raise. You mm-hmm. accomplish something dope. Does it in twenty twenty? Does it really count for anything right. unless you get the external validation? Right. I think is is kind of how you could read that, that yeah. Kierkegaardian sentiment.
0: Right, and that and that's also like a that's manufactured through media, through mass advertising and shit like that. So it's also something that was obviously you know rampant in Kierkegaard's context as well. And so I think that him like the prescient point of of with with Kierkegaard's uh, essay, I think, is just we all live in the present age, like. There, we are in the present age, and so reflecting on like I think that's what the project of, of all philosophers were was anyway, right? They were reflecting on the present age. They they could only talk about the shit that was around then. But it's just we have we are like we are in the context of mass media, and we have net we haven't been able to overcome that, and so that's why. His, his shit is, is so prescient is because we are still living in the age of mass media. And
1: yep. Yeah. yeah, it didn't go away. It wasn't a and, fad. Yeah,
0: it wasn't a fad. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And I think you could take that as evidence for the reading of of, of this essay that the death of rebellion kind of – although, of course, you had the Bolshev- Bolshevik Revolution in 1917 and from the time he wrote it, right. there have been – actual revolutions, Mm -hmm. but that kind of does, you can read that as evidence for just being like, yeah, we've kind of settled into our roles. This is the system we've got. Right. And this is what we're rolling with going forward. Right.
0: Definitely. And that's definitely like mostly Western, you know, democracies built on enlightenment, Kantian ethics and Hobbesian you know political philosophy and shit like that that yeah it, it, in in the in that context the age of rebellion is fucked because that's the society that's dominated by mass media but when you look at russia yeah. when you look at the bolshevik uh revolution and i was you know russia's not technically a western country same thing with yeah. like the revolutions in africa shit like that so I, I think it's it's like epistemologically, like how we like know what we know or think what we know type shit, and just how we frame yeah. the world is, you know, is fucking us.
1: Yeah, the, like basically, like the Enlightenment values are in in Western cultures and societies. Like though, that's the only game in town. Exactly. So no matter how much you might bitch and moan about it, that you're still playing the game. Exactly. It's like it's kind of like I hear people. um you know, like uh, sort of like religious versus atheist debates. You know, you have religious apologists saying, well, you know, such and such brilliant scientist uh, in the 15th <laughs> century, in the 16th century was deeply religious. And then the counterpoint to that is, well, well, that was the only game in town right. back then. Right. So it's sort of like these enlightenment values have like that's what we got.
0: Yeah, they they've just dominated or predominated yeah. our societies. Yeah. so. Yeah.
1: Well, this was kind of – this was sick because now I feel like at the end of this podcast, I feel like I understand the Kierkegaard essay more than – Yeah. So
0: – we Mission accomplished.
1: That's it. And <laughs> we hope – we sincerely hope that all our listeners feel that way too.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So, I have a question for you and we maybe this can be a little like peek behind the curtain that we can let the listeners in on. Okay. Are, would you envision the – are you envisioning this – like episodes like these, as like you ha- you're wanting to have the listener to have had read it, or this is just like let them hear us 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 talking this shit, and then if they're interested, they could go check out the essay.
0: Yeah, I guess more of the more of the latter because I I would hope that that the way we discuss this shit is is on a level that you know is accessible enough yeah. for people to really be able to grasp what you know what we're really talking about. And then, yeah, if that sparks some sort of like, oh, I need to go really cop that and really read it, then yeah, that's fire. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, all right. So we'll wind it down. I will actually, you know what? I think, I feel like this is a good episode to like do some, do some just like shout outs to people that have been supportive and maybe even some people that have businesses in their own rights. I mean, I don't want to get back into it, but I didn't really appreciate the, like the Instagram blackout thing in support of the protests right now. That kind of seemed to be like self. It
0: was, it was, it was counter, it was counter into, it was like counterproductive.
1: Totally counterproductive. Yeah. Um, But um, yeah, a, the this, the show would not be possible without our sound engineer. Shout Chris, out to Chris, Chris, Steph, who does all of our hilarious and amazing art. Shout out to and Steph. then there are people that just consistently support us, such as Christina. Um, who is a dope artist and writer yep. in Shout her own to- right, and she is at raw savvy. Right. Check out her writing. Um Shout out Turin, to- our 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 friend Turin Carter, who we used to work with is a yeah. Staunch supporter of the show.
0: Fire. He
1: is also a dope writer and a personal trainer and a wild thinker. Focuses so, <laughs> w- on wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like, but so smart, like, and just brilliant in his own way. And he's a consistent supporter of the show. So fuck with Turin Carter. I think his at is. Carter.tu, the clothing company Lousy New York. Shout out to Edgar. Edgar, amazing. Look up at Lousy New York. Dope local artist, Um, just making fire clothing, and I'm probably – there's probably a million more people I would want to shout out, but –
0: Oh, yeah. Shout out to my mom because Moms is a huge supporter. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, shout out to Moms. (laughs) (laughs)
1: of course of course Um, all alright so thank you everyone and we'll be back soon
0: yeah later now that you mention it yeah now that you mention it